Love certainly seems in short supply in these days around the world. A love, I don't mean that's sentimental, but the love of God. A love that's not in words only, but love that is in action, is demonstrated in the person of Jesus Himself. The Bible always spells love, V-E-R-B. It's a verb. It does, it moves, it acts. It is no surprise to us, especially in these last two or three weeks, that our world is filled with extreme brokenness and sadness. We know from the news reports, and some perhaps personally, that people of color are scared and angry. That police officers are scared and angry. Some days ago in Baton Rouge, Alton Sterling was shot and killed. This morning, in that same city, three police officers were shot and killed and three others wounded. In Dallas, in recent days, these police officers were killed. Lorne Ahrens, Michael Smith, Michael Kroll, Patrick Zamaripa, and Brent Thompson. In Minnesota, Philando Castile was shot and killed. We've read about violence and terrorism recently in France. Tragedies in places like Turkey and South America. Around the world, we know that brokenness seems to be the norm. And this God's world, the world in which we live our lives, the world in which we go about our business and go to work, try to befriend others, try to serve, raise our children... This is the world in which we live. It's a world in need of the love of Jesus. A love that replaces fear with hope. A love that speaks into anger. A love that touches a spiritual place in people and ignites new minds and new actions. Brokenness in the world is delivered by people, no doubt. But also is the beauty of God's love. It is normally delivered also through people, through people like you and me. The love of God and the beauty of God's presence penetrates and pierces into the brokenness of the world in which we live. People meeting tangible needs. People meeting spiritual needs. Often those are intertwined. Spiritual needs like comfort and prayer. You know, it's interesting to me in seasons like this, sometimes... In Christian churches, we shy away from the gruesome images of Jesus being crucified on a cross. But in times like this, it is so helpful, at least to me, to know that Jesus is one who suffered violence. Jesus is one who suffered heartache and bloodshed and even death. And it is this Jesus who ministers to us in our deepest and most grievous time of need. When the valley is darkest and hope seems teetering on the verge, it is the same Jesus who walked through a battered journey of life out of His great love for us to teach us how we might be filled with His love. And not only will He minister to us, but He also desires to minister through us in some way. Now here's the truth or a truth at least, is your spiritual life and mine 
Our spiritual lives will be stunted if we are not allowing God to touch the world through you. If you're not seeking ways for how God delivers and ministers His healing and His love and His grace, we've sung about those things even this morning, to find those ways in which God would want to touch your world through your life. That is one of the big reasons God calls the church into existence, so that we can regularly be connected in order to share our lives together. Lives of joy, for sure, but also lives filled with heartache and pain and loss and suffering. One of the clearest examples of the Bible describing the church being the body of Christ, of the church and individual Christians being the hands and feet of Jesus, is in the ministry of deacons in a way that deacons are able to interact and connect and meet in the midst of the regularities and real time of life coming and going. Deacon ministry is so important and has been a strong ministry of this church for many years. Deacons are here for a reason. Deacon, literally, the word means service. One who is put in a position and given the opportunities in a particular way to serve the needs of others. Sometimes they're individuals, sometimes they are needs within the community of faith. Deacons are intended by God to extend His work into His broken world. We know well in a church like this, especially having just come back from our ministry to feeding those who feed us and into Davis and the Migrant Center, that a ministry is not intended just for a pastoral staff or for a select few people. When God calls you to Himself, He also equips you and transitions your life so that the work He does in you might also flow through you. Because God always blesses individuals and communities of faith so that we might go out and be His blessed hands and feet into the world that needs it the most. Deacons are first found, I think, in Acts chapter 6. Many scholars think this is where we first see the idea of deacons emerging in the New Testament church. This was a church that was in the city of Jerusalem, a uh, uh, historic uh, crossroads of many religions and practices. Yet in this, this early church, in the early chapters of the book of Acts, Acts chapter 6, we see a church that Jesus has now physically, He's ascended back, back to heaven. And so now the church is learning what it is to be a church, to be brothers and sisters together without the physical presence of Jesus with them. Now, the Spirit had been poured out in a particular way at Pentecost. The Spirit is now guiding the church. The presence of Jesus goes with them, but not in a physical way. And this community of Christian gatherers are here in the Jerusalem church. <clears throat> and there are two groups mentioned in Acts chapter 6. One is a group that were probably Greek speakers. They were influenced by Greek backgrounds. They probably lived outside of Jerusalem and Palestine and other Greek places uh, for many years. And they had come back to Jerusalem. They are known as the, the Hellenistic Jews or Hellenistic peoples in the church. Uh, I think my Bible describes them as Grecian Jews. When I think of Grecian, I 
I think of uh, the old uh, hair dye for men, Grecian formula. So Grecian is always kind of a, if I chuckle when I say it, it's just because I'm thinking about Grecian formula for hair dye. But um, there's the Hellenistic or the Grecian faction in the church. And then there's the Hebraic, the Hebrew-speaking faction in the church. One church, one Jesus, one baptism. But there's a real problem going on because there are some widows out of both groups. And widows were some of the most vulnerable people in the first century. Uh, There weren't social systems in place to provide. And so individuals, families, uh, organizations had to come and minister to the needs of these widows. And what was happening in the church was that now it's in a Hebrew area, Jerusalem, right? uh, The Hebrew widows were being cared for, but the Hellenistic, the Grecian widows were not in the same way. And so that naturally caused problems. The leaders were told about it, and here's what they they did. They said, we we would like the church to gather together, and you, church, figure out who ought to minister to these particular needs, and we will bless what your decision is. Really a great picture of communal decision-making right here in the early part of the book of Acts. Here's what they do. They end up picking seven people. All of them happen to be Hellenistic background. They happen to be Greek-influenced background. They didn't say, well, we need to have a good balance. That wasn't what their focus was. There may be other times that's important and good. But they knew, I think, to in order to bring a sense of uh, fairness and to restore the injustice that had happened, the best way of doing it was to bring those who had a Hellenistic background to bring... Um, and to deliver the ministry. We, we read the names, and they're all Hellenistic names. They're all people who have a Greek-influenced uh, name. And what happens is that this particular need that was about to fracture the church, if gone unmet and undealt with, was healed. The widows that were overlooked were overlooked no more. The ministry that happened uh, was able to happen, and harmony resulted. And I just want to read with you Acts chapter 6, verses 1 to 7, so you can hear it straight from the Scripture. In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word in order to wait on tables. Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, Also Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. So those are some of the reasons for deacons, is to meet the needs that emerge in a community of faith. People who are able to come that God equips, that works through in a particular season to minister in a particular way to a particular group of people. And there are certain qualities that were looked for in deacons. Uh, Sometimes servants in a church can be full of themselves, right? Sometimes servants in a church can just be full of it. (laughs) But... 
In Acts 6, easy now, easy. (laughs) Don't agree too much with that. In Acts 6, there were some very clear things that they were looking for that would be qualities of a deacon. One was that they would be filled with the Spirit. Right? The Spirit of God. They had a presence about them that, just, that chose to seek to honor God in every facet of their life. They had Jesus at the center of who they are. They were empowered with God's Spirit, and it was evident in their life of devotion. They were people, I think, that you would have looked at in the church and would say, they are people of prayer. They are people who demonstrate love. They are people who are just around serving a lot. And I see God's Spirit active in them. People full and recognized as being full of the Spirit. There are also people who are full of wisdom. As we've been going through our uh, series through the book of Proverbs, we've been describing wisdom very simply as the ability to make godly decisions. The ability to bring God into every facet of every part of our life, no matter what the choice or decision is before us, and to let God's influence manifest itself in the midst of that life so that the choices you make reflect the same choices Jesus would make if He were at the same crossroads or the same decision points or inflection points of your life, that Jesus Himself would do what you are doing. It's knowledge being put to good use in the regularities of life. And so people in Acts, in this Jerusalem church, they chose these men because they were full of the Spirit and full of wisdom. If we were to turn over to 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 8-13, through 13, you can make a note of that. We see other qualities that are characteristic of deacons. They are people who are worthy of respect. Others in the community respected them and their walk with the Lord. They were people who were sincere. There wasn't falsehood or pretend or uh, anything that was out of sync in that sense. They were sincere in the way that they approached people. It wasn't one thing on Sunday and another thing Tuesday and Wednesday, the way that they lived their life. They were sincere and integrated. They were people who didn't see the bottom of very many bottles, if you know what I mean. They were not given to drunkenness. They were people who were honest with their financial dealings and could be trusted. There were people who were grounded in the basic Christian teaching, in basic Christian principles, and living their lives in honor of the Lord Jesus. These are the qualities that the early church looked for when they prayed about who would become deacons to serve the church body and the needs therein. Well, we've looked at some of the reasons for deacons. We've looked at some of the qualities of deacons. What about the results of deacon ministry? Well, one of the things, there's two that I just want to mention. We could mention many, but one of the results of a healthy deacon ministry in a church is that it uncorks, in many ways, the ministry of the church, the, the ministry flow. There are other ways ministry flows in a church, but deacon ministry, especially in a church like this, is one where God uncorks His ministry that's tangible in the realities of real time and real lives. In France, anytime you come across a a car uh, backlog, um, what do you call it? Traffic jam. Uh, In French, they call it a bouchon, which literally is the cork inside of a a champagne bottle or a wine bottle. Um, Once you have a cork in a bottle, unless you intentionally take it out, the contents of that bottle are going to remain in that bottle. Now, I, uh, I, I don't know if you've ever seen a champagne cork uh, out of the bottle. 
It gets so big once it comes out of a bottle. It must be magic how they get those corks inside the champagne bottle to begin with. I, I don't know the process, but it's wonderful. But I know that it, it expands inside. It's held tight by the, the glass. And then when it comes out, it's able to expand even more. Uh, the bouchons in traffic jams in France are what hold back the traffic from moving forward. A cork in a bottle is what holds back the contents from flowing freely out so that it can be put to good use. And so when a church is intended to have deacon ministry and that deacon ministry is not healthy, it's like a cork in the bottle of the church that needs to be released so that at least a good portion of God's ministry might flow forth. You know, it uncorks God's ministry in the church because needs get met in a very specific and personal way. The gospel is spread. That shared work happens across the board in the church and spiritual gifts are exercised and shared with others in a particular way. Sometimes deacons are the very first ones to know about a crisis in another person's life. I can't tell you the number of times when a deacon has called me to tell me, have you heard about such and such in somebody's life? It could be the loss of a job. It could be a health need, a family struggle. Uh, the deacons gather almost every month, once a month, the first Saturday of the month. And, and if you've never been part of the deacon ministry, you may be surprised to know that there are often times of tears when the deacons pray for the needs of you in this church body. They are getting to know and trying their best to get to know people in their deacon list. They are trying to engage them relationally and to understand the needs and to hear uh, the, the fervency of the prayer that's offered in the midst of our deacon meetings. If you've not sat in on one of those, you would be so blessed. And I want to tell you now, you have likely been prayed for at a deacon meeting, whether you know about it or not. Deacons are so important to the life of the church. I remember what Maggie Arbino once said, and just in ministry in general, but she said it at a deacon's meeting, and it stuck with me. And I know Pastor John mentioned it before, too. He said, uh, she said that it, it is a privilege for a deacon, really for any minister of any capacity, but it's a privilege especially for a deacon because they get to bear witness to a life. You, at times, will be with someone in the midst of a deep crisis or struggle or a serious need. And you, you don't have to be an expert in what to say or how to manage a crisis, but what God will want to do is to fill you for that moment and to work through you if you are a deacon chosen and called by God through this church in this next season of deacon ministry. So one of the results of deacon ministry that's healthy is that it uncorks the work of God through the church. Another one is that it actually deacons benefit from the ministry that they have in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 13. It says those, it's talking about deacons, those who have served well gain an excellent standing and great assurance in their faith in Christ Jesus. They gain an excellent standing. There's a respect of others because of faithful service that others in the faith community look at look upon a deacon who has served well. It's a growing respect for that person, not because they're necessarily all that wonderful, but because they've made themselves available. They've sensed and responded to the call of God for a season of their life, and they've allowed God to work through them during that season to minister to the particular needs of another person. So... What are the results? Those who have served well as a deacon gain an excellent standing and great assurance 
in their faith in Christ Jesus. In other words, as, as they work, remember I said that a spiritual life that doesn't find regular ways of service will be stunted. And so in serving, and especially through deacon ministry, that participates, God works in that to help develop and mature your faith. And usually it results in a confidence before God that you will one day hear God Himself say to you at the end of your days and your transition into your forever life with God as your King that He might say to you, Well done, my good and faithful servant. That's the result of healthy and faithful deacon ministry. So what is a deacon in this church? Well, in part... A deacon is a minister of presence. Simply, uh, you are given eight to ten na- uh, families. Uh, could be an individual, as Bill mentioned last week. Could be a family with children. But you're given the responsibility and the opportunity and the great joy of uh, giving yourself, uh, giving attention to that group of people for uh, a few years. Of investing yourself, of checking in with them, befriending them. Uh, learning what their particular needs might be, knowing what you can pray about for them and with them, knowing how you can come along and be a spiritual friend and guide and help along the way with them. It's a minister of presence. You're there when uh, their children celebrate highs like graduations or music recitals. You're, you're there to celebrate. You might be there uh, physically present. But it's also uh, rejoicing with them through a note or a word um, in a service during a time like this. It's a ministry of presence. It could also be a time of deep sadness that God would work through you and you might be surprised at how God would work through your life into a moment like that in someone else's life. It's a ministry of service. Not only is it engaging relationally, but it's also being a part of the church's network of learning how to meet and manage the needs that are within the church. It's also a ministry of prayer where you get to support the other in what God is doing, what their particular needs are, and how those two realities will meet. Members of TBC are asked to participate in this process. You have this blue sheet. I invite you to pull this out right now, and we're going to wrap up. You have this blue insert in your bulletin. You'll see on the back our current deacons and those who are rotating off. These are names that, um, if you put them on the list, they'll quickly get uh, removed from the list just because uh, they can't serve this next year. Um, And you'll see on the front, you'll see a description of what we're attempting to do and how this church has tried to do this for many years. You'll see at the bottom of it some lines for you. And here's what I want you to do. Some of you have been praying about this, hopefully, for a few weeks. Uh, Next week will be the last opportunity for us to collect these. Uh, If you want to take this home and scan it and email it to us, you can do that or bring it back with you next Sunday. But here's what we want to invite you to do, is to prayerfully seek God to reveal some names or faces to you that you think are full of God's Spirit and full of wisdom. People who you think out of 1 Timothy chapter 3 uh, have those characteristics that uh, would make for a deacon that God would be pleased to work through and begin to ask and seek God in prayer. And the names that come to mind, it might be one, it could be 15. I guess there's a limit here. But uh, 
list out your names and what the search committee that's been approved by the church, they take those names and they basically they just rank them. So if uh, Don Comfort gets 25 uh, recommendations uh, and uh, uh, Barbara Chrysler gets uh, 20 recommendations and other people get less than those recommendations, we simply rank them by the order of the number of recommendations they've been given. And what we're trying to do as a leadership group is to put our ear to why is it that God has placed these people on so many different hearts within the church? Because why are people seeing God's Spirit working actively in that life? And why are people thinking that this person, 25 or 30 or 50 people in the church, may see this person and recognize them as someone who's full of wisdom? And so those are the first people that, uh, if they're members of the church officially, that uh, will be contacted by the uh, deacon nominating committee. Here's, here's another prayer that I might suggest for you. Can I suggest another prayer? You don't have to take me up on it, but I'm going to suggest it to you. If you're a member of the church, and in the coming weeks, someone from the deacon nominating committee calls you and asks you if you would serve, I want to invite you, starting today and throughout the days to come, that you might just simply ask God this question. God, if I am asked to serve as a deacon, would you guide my decision in that? Because you may think, wow, what Bryce, you've just shared today, there's no way I could do that. Or there's no way I have time to do that. We hear that a lot. <laughs> and I understand there are very legitimate obstacles and reasons it may not be a season for you to serve. But my simple request is that you would just simply lay it before the Lord and ask Him to guide your decision. Because here's what will happen, is if God is calling you, that uh, then He will help you adjust your schedule if need be. He'll help you renew your priorities if need be. He will give you and equip you in all of the ways that you need to be filled so that God can use you as His vessel in pouring you out into the ministry that He's intending for you. Does that make sense? Just simply lay the request before the Lord and let Him do what He needs to do in preparation for you. Now, you may not be contacted. That's okay. But I'm just asking that you, we would all prepare our hearts in case that time comes and let God do what He wants to do in your life for His church's benefit. Amen? Amen. I think I'm at the end of my notes. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank You for Your goodness. We thank You for Your grace. And we thank You for Your love today. God, we stand as people who worship a God who is alive and well after suffering so much tragedy and heartache. You bear the marks of suffering for our sin so that in our sinful world we might know Your healing and Your present reality to touch and to renew. God, we pray that in the lives today, those affected by uh, friends who have been lost, I know many knew these families. I pray especially today for Jeannie and Alice and Bill Fort and Tyler Fort. I know others deeply knew them and are deeply affected. We pray for all of those who have suffered loss this week and that they would know You as a God who comforts their brokenheartedness because You and Your Bible tells us that You are very near the brokenhearted. God, for those suffering fear and anxiety and anger because of recent uh, realities or long-term realities in this country, uh, whatever the, the issue may be, we know that they're real. And we pray that You would minister and deliver Your healing touch. 
that you would resolve anger, not just pretend that it's not there, but you would help people work through that anger, that you might deliver your justice, that communication would be open and frank and honest, um, and uh, that hearing, not just speaking, but hearing might be um, uh, practiced and listening well. We pray into this broken world that has been so highlighted in these last three weeks or so that you administer your healing touch. Come now, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen.